Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hey, hotcakes. Welcome to Hot Take, the podcast where we talk about the climate crisis and all the ways we are talking and not talking about it. I'm Amy Westervelt. And I'm Mariana East Heckler. This episode, we have a conversation that I've been looking forward to for a really, really, really long time. We are going to talk about climate change and prisons, more specifically climate change and prison abolition and restorative justice and transformative justice and all of those sorts of things that are not exactly, I, I think that they're easy to talk about, but they're hard questions to answer. And it was just really great to have this conversation with one of our favorite guests and our second repeat guest on Hot Take. Amy, tell them who it is. It's Drew Cosley. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, Yeah. Drew is just a really great person to talk to. He's done a lot of... um, There actually isn't a lot of reporting on climate change in prisons in, in detail, but Drew has done some of that work. And he's also just a great person to talk to and have these messy kind of conversations with. So very excited to share this. I think Drew might be my favorite environmental journalist right now. I just, I really like... um... Oh, you know they listen to the show, Amy. I really like his writing. I like his writing, and I think he's just a really solid reporter... And and he thinks about things. You just alienated seventy percent of our audience, but I I will oh, say shit. that. Oh shit! <laughs> I mean, I like all the climate writers. Okay. Don't... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't cancel me. Cancel Amy. Don't cancel me. No. <laughs> Actually, don't cancel anybody. No. Do restorative justice. You'll learn about it in this episode. <laughs> yes, that's right. That is right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Um. Without further ado. You ready? It's time to talk about climate. Drew, welcome back to Hot Take, our second repeat guest. It's great to have you back here with us. Um, The last time that you were here, was it August or maybe it was September, but you were out in California like Amy and it was on fire and both of you had to cancel last minute because you lost your voices. How you doing now? Um, I'm doing all right. I um I moved, and it's not because the, it's not mm-hmm. because of all of the various calamities that could happen in California. Um, it's to be you know closer to home and uh, closer to my parents. Um, so I'm doing mm-hmm. all right, and I'm glad that it's warming up. Um, on the East Coast, mm-hmm. I also do not like the fact that I'm back where I'm back in a place where meteorologists always report warm weather as good without any sort of Mm -hmm. you know understanding that like if it's 70 in december that's not a good sign um so so yeah so i'm I'm like i'm like getting used to being back home um but i'm doing i'm doing okay yeah good 
So the main reason we wanted to have you on um, is to talk about prisons. Because I, so in doing the research for this show, <laughs> um, so many times I found articles that were like, most people don't think of prisons when they think of climate change. And I was like, how the fuck not? <laughs> It's one of the most vulnerable populations on Earth. So if we're going to think of climate change, you should be thinking of the most vulnerable populations and you don't have to look mm -hmm. much further. Um, and prisons are inhumane um, by design. Um, they're the outgrowth of slavery. There's the school to prison pipeline. Um, they are designed to be inhumane. Um, and they're already like kind of this chronic emergency. Um, and then you throw climate change on top of them and it gets so much uglier. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this past year we really saw that, right? With like not just all the natural disasters, but that on top of COVID and like just how horrific it was in prisons. Yeah, I mean, all over. And it's it's been like, I mean, you know, it's like one of the frontline pop. It is one of the frontline populations. People don't think about are just starting to think about frontline populations, right? And, like, there are a lot of them, you know. Um, uh, we, you know, often when I report on um, the environment and climate, it's, it's, like, race and class. But there, you know, all these other vulnerable populations that are being impacted. And, you know, um, and prisons have been sort of, you know, for years now, going back to Hurricane Harvey um, and, and Hurricane Katrina. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Um, yeah. It's been, you know, it's people who can't can't escape, literally. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In uh, doing a lot of the research for the show, I found some really like uh, just harrowing stories out of prison. Um, and I'll start with extreme heat and cold be just because of the cold snap in Texas this past or Texas and all over the south um, as a Mississippian. I should be careful to note that every time I talk about it. Um, how that ice storm just completely took out um, heat and drinking water from all the prisons. But also, most prisons don't have air conditioning or heat in them. Um, and the ones that are in the South, people can literally bake to death. There are people who just like collapse from heat stroke. It's not uncommon. Um, and most prisons are old and they're made out of these heat retaining materials. So they're designed to stay hot when it's really, and that becomes a problem as the country becomes hotter. Um, and then when there's, when it's cold, there's just no respite. There's no like way for people to protect themselves from the, from the elements. Um, and there's no plan. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. so yeah, like, and also the other thing about heat and extreme cold is that it increases violence. Um, and that's violence in between prisoners. That's also violence against themselves. So suicide attempts increase when it gets mm -hmm. hotter. Um, and, um, probably the, the scariest thing I read about was about prisons in Israel, um, because this this is a global problem, right? And it's going to, it's going to be worse in certain parts mm -hmm. of the country. Mm -hmm. So I, I looked at Israel, where prisons are underground, um, and where um, that means they have no ventilation at all, um, and they're designed that way to present to prevent prisoners from having access to sunshine, mm. um, and it turns it into hell. Um, and so also the guards. Yeah. Right. And so the guards are also, you know, kind of conditioned to be cruel to prisoners. Um, and so they would take away their fans in mm. the summer. 
Um, and a lot of the same things happen in prisons here. Yeah. Um, and so people are just like in these unventilated cells packed together with no fans and like trying to cool themselves by putting uh, like I read about people having a barrel of water and one prisoner per day could get in the barrel of water to try to cool themselves off. Mm. That's that's ridiculous. Oh, my God. I, I haven't heard about that. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I really had to dig for that story. But, like, that's the thing about about how prisons fare when it comes to climate change is that you kind of have to dig for those stories because people don't like looking at what's happening there. Honestly, um, even last summer when we were talking about uh, prisons and the wildfires, most people were talking about prison labors and prison... Um, firefighters they weren't talking about like what's actually happening to the people in prisons are they being evacuated are they safe do they have agency yeah there's this like respectability aspect to that too right it's like these people who are like saving our lives you know so they they're worthy of of our attention you know Mm -hmm. whereas like the people who aren't firefighters somehow like have less humanity because of that um yeah i think it's ridiculous and i mean that's part of like the you know i guess like part of like the, the the thesis of prison is like you go away and we don't the the normal people quote unquote don't have to deal with you while you ostensibly re- rehabilitate mm-hmm. you know and 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 it's led to so much neglect well it just is so like it's so none of it is conducive in any way to rehabilitation too it reminds me mm-hmm. when you were talking about mm-hmm. the, the guards in israel mary it reminded me of that whole like stanford prison experiment thing which I feel like people mm-hmm. reference all the time, but it's like, you know, yeah, like you're, yeah, I don't know. You're, you're giving some people yeah. total I, power over other people and like, and also kind of yeah. pushing this story that those people, you know, deserve to be punished. Um, it's about punishment. Right. It's not about rehabilitation. It's it's really, actually, it's more about revenge, I believe, mm. than it's even about punishment. Yeah. And because the thing about punishment is like punishments end. Right. Um, right. And the way that we treat prisoners in this country is like you can never redeem yourself. You will suffer for the rest of your entire right. life. Right. That's right. The punishment mm-hmm. never ends, even for the most minor of, I don't know. It's just, it's very, it is really troubling. Um, and then, yeah, on the yeah. wildfire front, yeah. it's like, okay, you know, you have prisoners that are trapped in in prisons like they never did did you ever see any stories mary about people um about like organized evacuation of prisons in california during the world yeah not not in California, um, but it, it, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. So last summer when the wildfires were raging, my first thought was like, what's happening to the prisoners? Um, and I was looking for people being evacuated. I, I did read stories about areas where prisons were in the evacuation zone, but last minute they would decide not to evacuate them. Um, in Oregon, I did read about prisoners being evacuated, but where do they go? They go to another prison that is already overcrowded, that is already like got COVID um, all over it. So like what is it, what is the actual plan to deal with prisoners when it comes to these sorts of things? And there doesn't seem to be one. Right. I'm, yeah. Um, I mean, I think like, you know, because like prison, pri- like prison culture in the U.S. like grew out of just like, OK, well, let's try to limit the let's try to limit or completely take away the freedom of, you know, of, of blacks that are trying to get free, you know, 
that that was the plan. Mm-hmm. Like, no plan besides that. Right. And I don't think I don't think there ever has been one since then. You know, um, it's just been you add right. on to the different marginalized populations that you that you that are vulnerable to one going to prison, and then you just forget about them once they're there, or you or you abuse them like you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's it's also the case during hurricanes. Um, that's another really terrible <laughs> event in prisons. I think we all kind of. I say we, but honestly, I need to stop saying that because most people weren't paying attention. Right. Uh, the three of us <laughs> uh, saw this back in 2005 with Katrina. Um, people were like locked in sails and, and the floodwaters oh, are like rising all the way up to their chest. And like these are this is like the Orleans Parish Jail. Mm-hmm. Right. Like people are there for drunk mm-hmm. driving. Right. It's like which minor is extraordinarily common. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Or even just there because of confusion right? or there because they were like evacuated. Like there's all sorts of reasons you can be in jail. Right. But also it doesn't fucking matter because nobody deserves to be treated mm-hmm. that right. way. You're still a human it doesn't being. matter. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I, I actually don't care whether they're guilty of a violent offense or completely innocent. Mm-hmm. I don't give a shit. You don't treat human mm-hmm. beings that way. Um, like I was reading um, these stories after Hurricane Harvey where it was like actually the Houston ASPCA did better for the 153 cats and dogs <laughs> than the state <laughs> did for the prisoners. <sighs> so here. Sounds, gross. sounds very American. Yes, it does. It, it really does. does. It does. Metropolitan <laughs> American, urban American. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's becoming more and more common, right? Because there is hurricane. I'll just give you some stats. In Hurricane Harvey, 3,000 prisoners in Texas were stranded without food or water for days. Mm-hmm. In 2018, prisons within the evacuation zone in Florida's coast were left to all by themselves during Hurricane Michael. Um, and Hurricane Florence in South Carolina, the state declined to evacuate more than 1,000 people across multiple prisons. Um, and two mentally ill women um, who were being transported between facilities were drowned when the transport van carrying them was swept away by the storm. Because usually these evacuations are left for the last minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no practice involved. Um and I also remember reading about um, evacuation drills that were planned and abandoned in the middle because it just got too complicated. Oh, my God. So, like, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, climate change is going to keep getting worse. Mm-hmm. And there's no plan. And there seems to be just no, there's a real resistance to having mm-hmm. a plan. Right. Meanwhile, there's, like, a, there is a plan to, like, build more prisons. Um. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Um, And a lot of the jails will say that they evacuated their prisoners. And then later on, you find out that that means that prisoners were moved somewhere else on the same Mm -hmm. property. Um, And even when prisoners are evacuated, they have to leave behind things like family pictures or legal paperwork. Mm. Things that they can't get back. So if you're working on an appeal, (sighs) like... (sighs) Now you lose half of it because you had to leave at the last minute. Ugh. Yeah. Yikes. Right? Like these are all these like ripple effects that that folks um don't take into account. Mm-hmm. And I I can tell that like I'm really bumming you guys out, so I'm just going to throw one more thing on you. <laughs> the aftermath of the storm is even worse because the spread of disease. Mm. Of course. Cuz it's like standing water, right? So yeah. Standing water mm-hmm. or heat combo of the two right mm-hmm. Mm. right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that's i mean that's ridiculous <sighs> and then also like you know in a lot of these situations it I, I wouldn't say that like 
I, I've been careful to not lump um, people who are in prison or in jails with people who aren't, but also are still marginalized, like poor folks, people of color. But a lot of these, a lot, a lot of states, especially a lot of southern states, they just don't have, for some reason, emergency evacuation plans. It's not something that they like across the board for people that they um, are, you know, supposedly care about who are on the outside. They don't have mm-hmm. they don't have plans for them um, either, you know. Like with Hurricane Harvey, um, there are you know there are people reporting that there just was no plan to get poor Latinx and Black folks to evacuation centers that were like far away from their communities. There was like no plan for that. Mm-hmm. So you know if they had no plan for the people that there's you know that are on the outside that didn't do anything you know bad. You know, I guess you can't really expect them to do much for people who are on the inside. That totally makes me think yeah. of people that are stuck in ice facilities when these things happen, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is like a different yeah. type of jail. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. No, they suffer a lot of the same fates, mm-hmm. to, be, to be honest. Um, and the thing with ICE facilities is that makes it even more fucked up. I wrote about this in the, in the newsletter mm-hmm. recently, is that ICE has full power to release people if they can't safely hold them. Right. They can just say, mm-hmm. you know what, we can't do this safely, so we're going to let you go. And they don't do it. They didn't do it during the ice storm. They didn't <laughs> do it during the hurricanes last year. They just don't do it. Um, and it just seems to me like there's this mentality in, in all of those examples of just, you know, somehow these people deserve whatever happens to them, you know, and like, don't, and don't deserve Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, full human respect for, because they were poor or because they immigrated illegally or they committed some kind of crime or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, yeah. It's gross. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that's all the more reason why prisons are, like, they're an emergency. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the emergency gets more, they're like this chronic emergency all mm-hmm. the time. But climate change, I think, moves them into the category of an acute uh, emergency. Mm-hmm. I think... Um... Drew's description of them as frontline communities is like it's it's weird that you don't see that ascribed to prison populations that much. But that's absolutely mm-hmm. what they are. And um, and mm-hmm. probably like, you know, the most vulnerable because they can't they because migration is not an option for them. Yeah, I mean, it's like stripped, right. you know, the, the the whole point is like to strip folks of their agency. Right. And right. And when you do that, like, it becomes hard for them to, because at least someone on the outside could, I don't know, like, like, for example, like, it's a terrible thing to to have to decide between. But like, if you, you know, you can at least go and hide in a different part of your house if, if you can't evacuate during a storm. Whereas, you know, if you're in prison, like, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to loosen, you know, restrictions of movement or anything necessarily. Right. Right. And I worry about it as storms and wildfires become more and more unpredictable, uh-huh. right? Because like like just watching California burn last year. Yeah. One 
one little gust of wind and things become real unpredictable real fast. Mm -hmm. And to see prisons be that close to towns that just like completely went up in smoke and the state said, no, we're not going to evacuate them. Like that could have gone horribly wrong. Oh yeah. I mean, it's really, hundreds of people could have just burned. It's like, it's fire is by its very, is by its nature unpredictable. Like, um, you know, it's, it's always unpredictable. So like that's, terrible anyway and Mm -hmm. then um and then yeah like a big part of what's been happening in california is the um big shifts in in wind patterns and currents and things like that that like make it even more and it really can be it's like a minute you know and all of a sudden that's what happened when santa rosa burned a couple years ago too it was like Mm -hmm. people were you know went to bed under a you know um the assumption that it was sort of far away from them and, and like literally had to run out of their homes to avoid dying. Yep. You know? Yep. (sighs) Yeah. It's, um, it's irresponsible and it's, um, sadistic and psychopathic, honestly. I mean, (laughs) um, I would say it's cruel and unusual. Yeah, it sounds sounds pretty cruel and unusual. I mean, prison in general is just cruel and unusual, but, yeah. Yeah. It's even it's even yeah. more cruel yeah. and unusual. <laughs> so, I noticed from your Twitter that you are into uh sports including basketball. So, I looked up some questions on basketball and I don't know if they're going to make sense because I only hardly understand basketball. So, why the chicken cross the basketball court? <laughs> <laughs> uh, to, to get a bucket? He heard the ref was blowing fouls. <laughs> wow. That's like a dirty joke. A dirty chicken joke. <laughs> Is it? What does blowing fouls mean? I thought that was like a basketball turn. I mean, there's the. I mean, Amy, Amy took it. Amy took it one way. Um. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh. I hope the next one is PG thirteen. Why can't basketball players go on vacation? Um. Right now, because they're they have COVID restrictions still. Um. No. Uh. That wasn't a good answer. Uh. Let me see. Um, because oh, because they can't travel. You got it. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, I don't know what that means, but you do. Hey, have you left us a review or a rating yet? If not, why not? Yeah, come on, get on that. What the fuck Seriously, are you doing? It, it, yeah, two things. One, um, it makes our egos feel good when there are lots of ratings, and it makes us feel bad when there are not a lot of ratings. Most <laughs> important part of all of this, okay? Tell us we sound pretty. <laughs> yes. And two, 
It is actually the way that Apple decides whether to show your show to other listeners. So yeah, it helps us it helps us go up in the charts, it helps us find new listeners, all those things. Right. And if you have a negative review, we have a special system for that. Make sure you send it to Brian.con at Earther.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-K-A-H-N at Earther.com. It'll get to yes. us just in a special package. Yes. Perfect. Go do that. Then you get into the way that prison labor is often used to deal with these disasters. And that is happening more and more, too. Um, You know, you mentioned the prison firefighters in California. Just this past year, I think they finally were like, okay, fine. We will allow these mm-hmm. people to get jobs as firefighters when they leave prison, which mm-hmm. was like a huge deal. And it's like ridiculous that it was a huge deal. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? But I think yeah. people also yeah. forget that, um, you know, usually like you'll see stories about the prison firefighters in California, but all of the Western states use prison labor for firefighting. Uh, Arizona, yep. it's like actually there are more prison firefighters than non-prison firefighters. Um, Wow. So, hey, Arizona. Um, (laughs) It's bad. It's bad. And then, you know, there's all sorts of other ways that that prison labor gets used to deal with with natural disasters, um, you know, across the board. Didn't you say, Mary, that they were, um, that BP used prison labor to deal with the the deep water spill ah! i was saving i was saving that one for later <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, yeah yeah that's true yeah i mean that's, that's another true. example right it's it's um yeah it's it's really gross and you know there's been some interesting um kind of academic scholarship around the fact that um around the idea of mass incarceration as like um almost a tool to deal with unemployment because if like a bunch of your unemployed people are in prison, you don't have to count them in your unemployment numbers. Yep. <laughs> you know? Oh dear God. So there's mm-hmm. like that yeah. whole aspect of the, like the labor and in prisons intersection too. That's really disturbing. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, if you think about it, it's just like the, the, the the simple analogy of of prisoners picking up trash is like uh, left to do undesirable jobs right right um mm-hmm. and and even more undesirable um you know sort of you can justify you can justify them doing more undesirable jobs because they're supposed to be getting punished you know as you mentioned earlier right. mary mm-hmm. it's ridiculous yeah yeah. Yeah, it's like the chain gang. And mm-hmm. I also want to note that it's not just fires right. that prisoners are fighting, right? Like a lot of them are also like the people who sandbag um after floods mm-hmm. and after hurricanes, right? And that is after their prison has has already flooded and they had to stay there through the entire storm, right? right? So like and that that to me also brings back images of the 1927 flood of um of the Mississippi River, which I've been obsessed with lately and how um it was either prisoner labor or it was black people from like just 
nearby plantations or nearby towns forced to work on the levees at gunpoint mm. um, because you could put one picture up next to another. You kind of can't tell the difference. Like mm -hmm. the uniforms have changed a little bit, but you really can't tell the difference. And it just like, again, highlights how um, the prison system is so closely tied to slavery. Mm -hmm. And I think I was listening to, um, I think it was the Ezra Klein show and he was talking about how, you know, the, how disproportionately black people are, are in prison in the United States and how if that were the case in somewhere like Germany that Jews were disproportionately imprisoned, you wouldn't be able to look at that and not see the problem. Right, right. Um, but in America, like, that is very much the case and people are not seeing the problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that they're paid so little. Um, I'm seeing like between $2 and $5 a day and they are not allowed to organize. Um, they're not allowed to speak about their working conditions. Right. Um, and so much depends on them. Like I would, I would like to see what firefighting would look like without them. I would like mm -hmm. to see what hurricane uh, recovery looks like without them. Actually, oh, yeah. I wouldn't. I think it would look really. No, bad. I mean these, these, yeah, these states are relying on this as part of their disaster um, strategy. They, they absolutely rely on prison labor, and they do not know where that budget shortfall would come from without it. I mean, yeah. it, it's. It wouldn't be yeah. filled, I don't think. The California, the like recent wildfires going back to 2017 would have probably all been, like, I would say, maybe except for Paradise because it happened so quickly. But um, mm -hmm. but a lot of the other wildfire, major wildfires or complex wildfires would have probably been, like, like orders of magnitude worse if they didn't have um, firefighters fighting them. I, I, um, I remember I was covering... Uh, it was when I was in grad school, it was the, it was like my first sort of breaking news environmental story. It was just um, mm. a fire that was happening in the Oakland Hills. And there was like a, there's an infamous fire from the early nineties that spread really quickly through the Oakland Hills um, mm -hmm. because that area is very dry and windy. Um, mm -hmm. And there are a lot of trees. And I remember the, when I got there, the, firefighters the firefighters who were not in prison um uh were sort of doing preliminary work but then they brought in prison firefighters to like be the ones to scale the hills and like get closest to the fire yeah oh and wow so they put them of, in like the most dangerous position basically yeah i mean they're like on the front wow. lines you know really um and 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 they if they really do play a major role in making in mitigating the wildfires um even even smaller ones like the one that i covered back in 2017 um that i was that i'm talking about yeah, so uh, it's ridiculous that mm. they aren't getting paid more. I mean, but it's ridiculous also that just across the board, prison labor, really, prison shouldn't exist if we go all the way back down the rabbit hole, right? But, like, it, the fact mm -hmm. that they're here and, like, prison labor isn't more well compensated is just, it's ridiculous. Right. Right. Why did the elephant stampede onto the basketball court? Um, to get a steal, to steal something, to, I don't know, um, <laughs> um, because something trunk. 
Um, they played for the Chargers. The Chargers? The Chargers are a football team. Oh, shit. Word. Cinderella fail at basketball. She had to leave the ball. Right? Exactly, yeah. Because she ran away from the ball. <laughs> <laughs> I got two for two for four so far. What do you call the basketball move where you drink too much alcohol and score? A drunk. Slam drunk. A slam drunk. Got it. <laughs> So that takes us into the other thing that I, you know, I think a lot about how climate change affects prisoners and affects prisons, but I don't think a lot, to be honest, about how prisons affect climate change. Mm -hmm. And Drew, you've done some writing about this that like completely opened my mind to that. Um, so I was wondering if we could get you to read from your January article, how the U.S. prison system contributes to climate change. Now, research in the sociology journal Social Current suggests that the prisons and jails that cage them are also contributing to climate change. According to the research, which looked for correlations between carbon emissions from 1997 and 2016 and increases in populations at state, federal, and private prisons, every incarcerated person in the U.S. accounts for a 0.481% increase in carbon emissions. The study counted 2.3 million incarcerated people in the U.S. Mass incarceration creates three social conditions that are likely responsible for increased carbon emissions, authors argue. The first is the construction of new prisons and maintenance of older prisons. The second is the production of goods and materials used in prisons. Both of these conditions use cheap prison labor, um, wages are between $0 and $2 an hour, and they create a third social condition, U.S. economic growth driven by prison labor, which in turn increases demand for goods and services that ultimately require fossil fuels to be produced. And right. And then and then, yeah. Go and ahead. then so, yeah. So that's like a lot to chew on. I, uh, in, you know, in the pre-show, you said you want me to break that down. Um, and um, yeah, so so if I think. And I mean, I I want to give, I want to give props to the lead author on this study, Julius McGee, um, because I too, once I saw this study, you know, I like always scan studies or scan for studies as part of just like my beat, um, and this one really caught my eye because yeah, I had, I also had not been thinking about how prisons as an institution contribute to global emissions or yeah mm -hmm. to global emissions. Um, so I just want to shout out Julius McGee, um, the, the lead author on this study. So um, from from my understanding of it is like, so the first the first social condition, construction of new prisons, and it's like infrastructure projects that wouldn't exist if we didn't have prisons, right? Like, um, mm -hmm. so those infrastructure projects are going to generate emissions, one, right? Mm -hmm. Um, just because you have construction vehicles and things like that that have to 
mm-hmm. you know, be around and drive. Steel and concrete. Exactly. And then, right. And then you also, you also create environments that are less conducive to sequestering carbon and things like that, um, that aren't well ventilated. And so, um, you, you use electricity to ventilate jails if they are prisons or jails if they are ventilated um so you generate you generate um electricity and fossil fuel you burn fossil fuels for that um the second is production of goods and materials used in prisons so that just just literally the industrial like if you think about prisons as like as factories right Right. Factories and mm-hmm. factories in warehouses, they are sources of, of emissions that we need to question. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so in so some in order to power the the goods and services that are like the, the goods and materials that are produced in prisons, you need to have like electricity. You need to have diesel trucks to come in and drop off the, the materials that are used to create goods, to take them away for shipping. Um, so there's all these different ways that sort of, if you look at prisons as a, a, a spot for industrial activity, that they create industrial emissions. Um, and then, and then because, and this is, and this is the, the sort of framework that the authors of the study are using. So, um, and then the third, the third social condition is that, um, is that by, by having cheap, cheaper labor, you free up, you know, money for people on the outside ostensibly, um, to actually go out and buy more goods and services, and so I think they're they're saying sort of this like economic churn that's created by be by there being cheaper labor in somewhere in the labor market is like fueling mm-hmm. consumption that then demands fossil fuels at this point in order to like meet that consumption with goods and services. So what I'm understanding is that a prisoner in prison yep. Obviously, like is emitting more carbon than they would have if they were out in the general population. That is, I, the yeah the theory of like the thesis of hypothesis of the of the study of the yeah. study, yeah, yeah. And so, I just hear that is incredibly fucked up when I think about what we were just talking about: how prisoners don't have access to heat, they don't have access access to mm-hmm. air conditioning, mm-hmm. they don't have computers. Like, so they're emitting more carbon without any of the fucking benefits, right. right? And so, like, I think about all the people that I'm sure you've both also seen on Twitter who are like, oh, you're worried about climate change, but you just type that tweet from your iPhone. Well, maybe you should just, like, <laughs> drop all of mm-hmm. that, right? right? And then I think about prisoners are emitting more carbon completely against their fucking yep, right. Yeah, right, and I right. mean, it's also, like, if you think about it, it's just, like, these all these other cycles, right, that that other marginalized people get, like, caught up in. Um, I'm sure that there's probably like patterns of consumption that create more global, like that, that create more emissions that, that of like, so like, I don't know, like, I'm I'm trying to think of like an example, a good example, but, oh, here's a good example. Um, People who have to commute to work, you know, like essential workers Mm -hmm. that have Mm -hmm. to like commute to work, even in the pandemic, like 
the these aren't necessarily jobs that these people chose for themselves. They had a maybe right. a set of circumstances in their life that led to them needing needing uh, employment, and they go to do this job, right? So like, right? It's it's mm-hmm. it's it's just like these cycles where people are one, they're robbed of their agency, and then mm-hmm. they're left to sort of deal with the consequences of of um, cycle that they didn't necessarily have a have have a lot of like uh sort of control in creating. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good example. I mean, this is why I I hate the whole like oh, well what about your individual choices because it it just like yes, individual choices are a thing that are, you know. But it's I I feel like the mm-hmm. um <laughs> the segment of the population whose individual choices actually make a big difference on this stuff are never never the ones that are being um, criticized for not making the right individual choices. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And when you're like dealing with a system like this, how many of your individual choices are actual choices? Yeah, right, right. Exactly. exactly. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. That's what I mean. It's like, there's maybe like 5%, 10% of the population who have real agency who like, should be criticized for yeah. not making different choices because yeah. they can, you know, but like the vast majority of the rest of us are dealing with a constrained system um, that offers increasingly fewer choices, The like the more marginalized you are. Yeah, I, I mm-hmm. this is like off the top. This is like a little bit. Off, well, this is really off topic. But um, yesterday I, I published a, a, a little bit of a dunk on this, these comments that Mark Zuckerberg made about smart glasses and augmented reality <laughs> and virtual reality. And he's like, this is going to like put a real dent in climate change because look at how many people worked remotely last year and look at the ba- look at the tint and then look at the dip in global emissions and like. That is some rich people stuff, you know, like that's, that's, that's for <laughs> right, that, right. like, that is yeah. for people who have that economic privilege to be mobile, to like go move to the middle of nowhere in the middle of the pandemic and, that's right. you know, or do a yeah. little road trip. Like, you know, my, you know, like that's, that's not well, everybody. And, well, also I hate right. that stuff too. Cause it, so I live in a place that a bunch of like rich Bay Area tech people have moved to in the pandemic, right? And that like I'm probably I'm a sorry. bunch of them will be like buying up those glasses <laughs> to do their remote work. And what it's doing is yeah. like driving up the cost of everything, um, eating mm. up all of the housing stock. So there's like n- almost no places to rent anymore, overcrowding the schools. Uh, like creating huge problems around infrastructure and resources and whatever. And it's just like, there's there's no consideration given to that. They're just like, oh, isn't this great? We don't have to live in San Francisco anymore. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for you. I'm sorry for you, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I just want to read the headline to, to Drew's piece just because we're on this rabbit hole. Mark yeah. Zuckerberg's comments on smart glasses and climate change are not based in reality. <laughs> well, perhaps virtual reality. But that's about it. Yeah, that was a fun one. You know, that's I'm good. always that's I'm always good. writing about yeah. I'm always writing about um you know, sort of bu- bummers Prisons. bummers of topics and so, you know, it's it's fun to, to, to flex on, on, on Zuckerberg a little bit. It's even fun though, to do a dunk you know, once in a while. A little dunk. <laughs> yeah. A slam a, a slam yeah, drunk. Is, 
Yeah. It's kind of like the same reason that we uh, troll fossil fuel companies on Twitter. I mean, yeah, it's fun. It's nice to punch somebody who deserves to be punched. Yes. Um, yes. It's true. But, you know, you think about Mark Zuckerberg's contribution to climate change, and then you think about a prisoner's contribution to climate mm-hmm. change, and it just like is incredibly like a gut punch. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just really deflating. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, um, you know, to note here is that um, it's it's not just prisons that are part of this problem. It's also police. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you did some reporting on this last mm-hmm. year that we also talked about the last time that you yeah. were on the show about how police bring pollution into communities. Yeah. So can you just like give us a reminder? about? Yeah, that? I mean, it's just it was sort of like conceptual based off of the work of a lot of young environmental justice activists um, for a lot of them from mm-hmm. the West who um, marry environmental justice with prison abolition and, and police abolition um, work. So I, I don't want to take credit for that. Mm-hmm. But but um, yeah, just like you think about the types of pollution that that law enforcement agencies bring into communities, you know, like noise, there's additional noise pollution from their sirens or cars. If they, you know, you have those scarecrow cars that are just sitting in and, and sometimes just like running with somebody sitting in there and they, they're not really monitoring the community, but just sitting in the car to scare people. You know, you got light pollution um, from floodlights, um, obviously um, additional emissions from police vehicles that probably wouldn't be there if we didn't have police or if we had at least less police. Um, and mm-hmm. it's just sort of like this. It's like you th- you have to take those things into consideration, too, when you think about someone's overall like health. Um, and, and, and especially mm-hmm. like their, their behavioral health, um, and, mm-hmm. and the choices they end up or the choices that they make, you know, or the fates that they're, you know, ascribed to. That are right. Available. Exactly. And so, um, I think, you know, it's just worth highlighting that like even, even people who, you know, the people who end up in prison, you know, sometimes grew up in communities where they did not really have a lot of choice in and what impacted their behavioral health or what impacted their like mm-hmm. physical health. Um, you know, right. so, so yeah. So it's just like, you know, just part of just another part of the cycle. We're not looking at. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And around that exact same time you published that last summer, um, there was a story that broke about uh, fossil fuel companies funding police departments because right. the worst people are always the same people. Mm-hmm. Um, Amy, you did a lot of like you actually kind of broke that in hot take. Yeah, which I love telling people. Well, yeah, I um I I saw it was um you know Chevron was posting all of their like Black Lives Matter stuff in right. the week of of mm-hmm. the George Floyd protests, and I was like, wait a minute, I remember like I reported on. Chevron and Richmond as like a local reporter a long time ago and I was like I'm pretty sure there was something in their refinery update plan that included like a lot of funding for police in Richmond mm-hmm. and then I like I mm-hmm. I uh I dug into it more and I was like yep there's that line item and like I remember the chief of police at the time saying that basically you know they were they would not have as many uh, policemen in Richmond if they didn't have Chevron chipping in. Um, so, yeah. yeah, it's just like really weird yeah. targeted thing. A, um, yeah, it's super weird. It's super weird. And then I, I do think um, there was a there was a um, 
a couple of researchers reached out to me shortly after that, and they were like, oh, like we, we've been wanting to research this. And so they looked to see what other um, police departments were getting funding from fossil fuel companies. And honestly, it's like wherever they have a refinery, they're chipping into the police. Mm-hmm. So, yep. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, so, yeah. so it's really funny because like you think about it and like who that's targeted at because... Because Chevron mm-hmm. and Richmond is like could be a case study for for like oh yeah for astroturfing, um, but mm-hmm. but like mm. the 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 police the increased police presence is meant to target the more affluent people in that community, right? Like right who who can afford to move away from the Chevron refinery, right? There are, mm-hmm. I mean, there's weirdly she- Richmond is weird because there's some there are there is at least one affluent community that's like downwind of the refinery or like right next to it mm-hmm. in Point Rich mm-hmm. in Point Richmond. There I mean they it's actually good that they're there because like you know th- some of those people are are activists and they are concerned about the environment and mm-hmm. they have more they have more um more influence in time and to you know try to solve you know solve to try to shut down, you know, Chevron's refinery. I mean, that's that's what needs to happen mm-hmm. to that refinery. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. I also I was just um I was just spending some time this morning looking at like um, politicians that are heavily funded by both oil companies and private prison companies, and there's like unsurprisingly a lot of crossover. And my my favorite one so far is um, Rick Scott, who was like the governor of Florida for a while, and then is now a senator for Florida, Florida, the state most threatened by climate change, by the way. Um, <laughs> like, right. who, who's like the number one recipient of private prison funds, and also like one of the top recipients of uh, big oil money. Um, I think he just this year was like it admitted that climate change is happening, but still doesn't think we should do anything about it. So, um, <laughs> just let it wash over us, like literally. Like the sea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I I mean, this is just my hunch, but I have a feeling that if like you dig into who's funding private prisons, you would probably find the same people who are funding police departments. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm probably not going to do that digging, but that's just my hunch. Yeah. Because if you dig into anything, you always find these oil guys doing the worst shit ever. Yes. Like it's. Well, the oil guys and and also like there's a whole I mean, there's just there is a very there's a whole kind of network of funders that, um, you know, have some connection to the fossil fuel industry, but also, you know, maybe have like a family foundation that funds not only um, private prisons and, you know, other other kinds of, of like pieces of the carceral state, but also like that have been pushing for legislative changes that will perpetuate the conditions that lead to mass incarceration and climate change. You know, it's, it's, uh, yeah. 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 I I also think the other connection is uh, these laws like critical infrastructure laws Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, fossil fuel companies, actually one of you explain it because you'll explain it better than me. 
Oh, it's basically um, there's there's actually now more than half of the states have passed these laws now that criminalize protest around, quote unquote, critical infrastructure. In some states, it increases the charges for um, trespassing on private property near there. Um, so it basically takes what was a misdemeanor and makes it a felony. In other states, they didn't have any laws around this stuff before, and it now makes it a felony. So it's really like it's um, extreme charges for, you know, essentially pipeline protest. Mm-hmm. You could now be facing like up to 10 years in prison in some states for participating in a pipeline protest. Um, and yeah. the the fossil fuel industry has been very, very... I mean, they've been running this whole thing um, in both states and at the federal level, too. So, like, one of the first things the American Petroleum Institute did in, like, the wake of the pandemic taking hold uh, in the U.S. was to get all fossil fuel infrastructure declared critical infrastructure, um, which seemed like a weird move at the time. It's like, what does this matter? Mm-hmm. And yes, part of that was to get you know, all of their workers deemed essential workers that could continue working. But another part of it was laying the foundation for more of these state laws to pass to criminalize protest. So, yeah, huge uh, free speech violation, which like, you know, is is um, really runs counter to what a lot of the the sort of libertarian and Republican right-wing politicians claim to stand for. Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors, which is bad news because according to the EPA, indoor air could be two to five times more polluted than outdoor air. In some cases, it could be a hundred times more polluted. Data shows that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths around the world. I have a strange little problem in my neck of the woods, and that is that everybody likes to burn their garden trash and other trash too. Lots of trash burning going on in my neighborhood. Not great. Air Doctor has really, really helped. I just fire it up on days when I can tell everybody's lighting their trash fires and it keeps the household air clean. Air Doctor is the air purifier that has captured the attention of established media outlets like CNN, Money, ABC, and more. Air Doctor filters out dangerous contaminants and allergens like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use the promo code DRILLED to get up to 39% off or up to $300 off, depending on the model. Lock this special offer in by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code DRILLED. This holiday season, get a gift for yourself too, and keep it simple. I gave myself the gift of a better, more convenient laundry experience. I know, I know, laundry doesn't sound like a gift, but honestly, EarthBreeze just makes it so much easier. Think about how you actually do laundry. You have to work out how much detergent to pour 
lift that big plastic jug, hope the goo doesn't get everywhere. It's annoying. But EarthBreeze Eco Sheets look like nothing I've ever seen in the detergent aisle. It's almost, it's like a dryer sheet kind of, but it's the detergent and you throw it in and then that's it. There's no measuring, no nothing. It works in hot and cold. It's also dermatologist tested, hypoallergenic, and free of bleach and dyes. And it fights everyday stains and odors. You get a powerful clean, but you don't have to deal with all that packaging. Right now, my listeners can get started with Earth Breeze and save 40%, Go to earthbreeze.com slash drilled. That's E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E dot com slash drilled for 40% off your subscription. Earthbreeze.com slash drilled. You know I mean that shit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, okay, free That's like when they said liberty who? and justice for all. Exactly. That's like when they said liberty and justice for all while holding slaves with a straight It's almost like, right. it's, al- it's almost right. it's almost like when they uh don't vote for stimulus bills but then brag about the money that they're getting their communities. That's right. That's right. Oh. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. But it's really it's um quite troubling because it's now more than actually just in the last few weeks a bunch of these state laws have passed again. So um, it's a big problem because the other thing that's happening is um, the law firms that work with a lot of the oil companies like Gibson Dunn, which you know represented Chevron in their whole thing against the the indigenous groups in Ecuador, have figured out that they can use the RICO laws. Uh, so those are like racketeering laws that were created to deal with organized crime um, against mm. protesters. <laughs> um, so they're starting to like the they they kind of um, set the precedent with this Chevron uh, RICO case in the U.S. And then they use mm-hmm. the same exact strategy against protesters at Standing Rock um, to say that like wow. the protesters and Greenpeace and indigenous groups were all part of, you know, a criminal enterprise that, um, you know, like organized damage against energy transfer partners. So I think we're we're going to see more of that. Mm-hmm. Like there are um there are attempts underfoot to try to do the same thing around uh the movement for black lives and those protests as well. So there's huge crossover between them and it's um it's really 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 concerning because they are they yeah. are um completely trying to criminalize protest across the board yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's gross and that you know it's like oh then there's like more people in prison and then there's more money for private prisons and there's more you know it's just this like gross kind of whole system which makes me feel like they've got to be in cahoots because yeah i mean there's usually yeah it's like well it it protects their pipelines but it also maybe drives profit in some other ways too i don't know (laughs) yeah 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 it's gross why did the fish refuse to play basketball 
because it couldn't save Pittsburgh. That's that's an old movie reference. What? It's an old movie reference that... Never mind, sorry. <laughs> but that's my answer. <laughs> um, he was afraid of the net. Why hasn't Europe ever won Olympic gold in basketball? Because uh, black people took over the sport. And they live in America. Because Europe isn't a country. This is true. <laughs> what do an angry bunny and a pro basketball player have in common? They both got hops, yo. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Uh <laughs> <laughs> they have mad hops. us to the pretty big question around this which is like I I feel like it's kind of clear where I stand on this I don't see how there's a future for prisons mm. um, I, it's already bad enough that there's a past for it mm -hmm. <laughs> to be quite honest um, I think they were never viable um, I think they become even more cruel and unusual once you lay climate change on top of them and at the same time though climate change is going to make crime more likely like people right. are going to hurt one another as they get put in more and more unstable positions we know that heat increases the likelihood of violence mm -hmm. um, so does uncertainty right and I think that prisons have proven themselves to be unreformable um, mm -hmm. and it, like they themselves, that was another very interesting thing I learned in the research for the show. They, they're the result of reform themselves, um, mm -hmm. because people used to be like publicly flogged yep. and drawn and quartered and hung in the public square. Right. And so then prisons were presented as this, like this, uh, more humane alternative, but they're not humane. Right. So what do we do now? Um, I I am a budding prison abolitionist. Um, I'm not, like, I have some books on order. I feel like I need to educate myself more before I can, like, claim that mantle. Um, but I don't believe in a future for prisons. Mm. And I don't know where y'all fall on that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, mean I, I agree with you. I, I, that, I, I'm, I'm, you know, you can be, yeah. I think we, we all probably spend so much time on Twitter. We're, we're afraid to claim things because we have, like, these awesome like ex experts who are like way deeper in on issues than we are right but like mm -hmm. you know yeah. like you can be just like just like how you could be like a basketball fan tomorrow mary if you decide to be and you know <laughs> it's not. fine but you don't have to know much just to you know to 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 feel something you know in your heart you know or um right you know, oh. um and know that you f know that you feel that way um and for me it's definitely like you know, um, I I definitely am, uh, think that we need to abolish prisons and police. Um, that's just mm -hmm. I think it's 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 to me it goes down. It's really drives down to like really existential questions about like how we relate to one another and right. um in 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 what we think should happen to people who do things that we think are wrong that was like a very long-winded yeah. way of saying mm -hmm. bad things but um yeah mm -hmm. I, yeah so that's that's where i stand on it yeah 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 what about you amy yeah no i totally agree i um i spent a a period of time like extremely obsessed with 
restorative justice and like hanging out in um, oh. schools where they were doing they were um, a, like had restorative justice programs running mm-hmm. to deal with um, sort of school discipline. And I and I was like 100 percent. This is how we should be like running all parts of society because <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. it was amazing. You know, I, I um, mostly spent time in, in Milwaukee and in Oakland in schools um, mm-hmm. that had embraced restorative justice to deal with disciplinary problems and then realized that it should just be part of how the whole school was run in general. So they had these um, kind of morning meetups in classes. And sometimes it would be like by class and sometimes they would have like um, all the girls in one grade meet together and all the guys because there were certain things that like they didn't want to say in front of each other because it's like high school you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um and they just would like everybody would kind of talk about what was going on in their lives and the um the guidance counselors and stuff were like yeah you know it's really hard to bully someone when you know like what's going on in their life, you know? And so they yeah. they were doing this yeah. kind of daily thing to just foster, like, real sense of community in the school. And mm-hmm. then, you know, if something did happen where, like, there was a fight or, like, someone's phone got stolen or whatever, they would bring together kind of all of the stakeholders, including, you know, witnesses that were there and, you know, the two like the two or more like main parties involved and like their parents sometimes grandparents and just talk together about like what would repair the rift in the community so it wasn't about you know how do we punish this person it was like okay this incident created a problem you know created like a break in the community and how do we repair it and like it was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was really amazing. I like I yeah. I really was like, oh yeah, like this is a better way for humans to relate to each other and a better way to structure you know, community. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Uh it, well, since you introduced those terms, I want to just share um a definition I found in an interview that I actually found pretty useful. Yeah. Um cuz restorative justice and transformative justice are words that are like, kind of thrown around a lot. Um, restorative justice is to try and restore relationships and how they were prior to the harm being done. Mm-hmm. And transformative justice is the purpose is to try and transform communities so that harm can't happen mm-hmm. again. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. This, these I schools those, were kind of doing both useful. of those things. It was like, yeah. yeah. It, well, it, well, it really works. Yeah. It works so well and it's so healthy. And like, it's just like, oh my God. I, I like, I wish that every mm-hmm. adult I knew had like, gone to a school that did this <laughs> yeah yeah right yeah, sorry well, Drew, you were saying something no yeah well the second definition with transformative justice like some of the stuff you're talking about earlier mary with like like crime is gonna go up because he's gonna like that's that's not that's not a given right that's what we know happens right. or has happened but it doesn't have to be the future even though climate change is gonna get worse like that's a great point um yeah. like we can yeah. and, and like communities are structuring themselves to try to you know to be able to be resilient and this is like probably like a, a way that you know hopefully like more and more communities will start to try to like adopt like principles of restorative justice and transformative justice so that you know people are are, cho- are making hopefully making different choices even if the circumstances are worsening right um, mm-hmm. 
I think we'll it's see. important too. Yeah. Like I, I um before I got into or sort of the way I got into restorative justice was like I um I w- was like researching forgiveness therapy and um and then that led me down to like the restorative justice rabbit hole but um but one of the things that all the researchers I talked to um said over and over again was that like there's a they think there's a misunderstanding that a lot of people have that like restorative justice or forgiveness um leaves out accountability and it definitely does not um it's not about like some sort of you know like I I talked to one parent that was kind of nervous about restorative justice in schools because he was like what if like my if my kid gets beat up like I don't want to have some kumbaya moment where the person who beat him up just like gets off scot-free you know like that was the (laughs) that was Mm. the feeling but I think there's this um this yeah I think actually um there's almost more accountability in a restorative justice setting because like they're the person has to actually acknowledge the harm done um and right. and that is and like a key part know. of the process you know like so yeah right. i don't know yeah yeah and because you know you're not going to go to prison you're more likely Correct. to admit when you've done something wrong that's right and because you know there's a community that wants to welcome you back after you've you know atoned that's right then that gives you more of an of an um more of an incentive mm-hmm. to admit when you've done something wrong and to try to prevent and try to reorient and to be, yourself into society. That's right, to be part of the repair. Mm-hmm. Um it's mu- I right, just exactly. and I think that actually there's more of a sense of um like I don't know, closure and repair for the for victims too in that. Like um right. that was kind of how it, how restorative justice started was it, it was Mennonites going into prisons and like, you know, um organizing conversations between victims and perpetrators as a way to um combat the death penalty. And like mm-hmm. um like there's there there's no I don't think there's any research that says like victims feel like justice has been served by the death penalty <laughs> you know but there's well, a I lot think, around well, actually, restorative think, justice so like ugh, i don't know yeah, yeah i think a big part of the problem is the way that we talk about justice just in mm-hmm. general that's right in this country yeah, exactly. is punitive. like justice mm-hmm. Justice and vengeance are pretty much the same That's thing, right? right? Yep. So, like, even it, like our knee-jerk reaction, and we're taught this from the time that we're very, very small, mm-hmm. is that if someone hits you, you hit yep. them back, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, you, if someone harms you, you want them to suffer. That's too, right. Right. So, like, and I, I think yeah. of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think the way that this shows up the, in the most gruesome sort of way is the way that we talk about uh, prison rape, mm. um, which that's right. Like, I. People joke about this. It's and it really makes gross. Me incredibly sick. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I, even if the person is guilty, mm-hmm. even if that person is guilty of doing some of the most horrible things on earth, I don't think any human being deserves That's that. That's right. I don't. Yeah. And so just the callousness with which we treat people in prison and make jokes about not joke, not dropping the soap. Mm-hmm. Um, and like people think that like, well, if you raped someone or if you hurt a child or you did this or you did that, then you deserve to go to the place where that thing can happen to you at any given moment. And it's like, that is, that is a very strong sign of moral bankruptcy on behalf of our entire society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Totally. So, Yeah. 
And uh, the other thing um, I was seeing in a lot of my readings, it's like a a lot of the ways that we talk about prison abolition in the mainstream are kind of problematic these Mm -hmm. days. Like it's it's just recently become more of a mainstream Mm -hmm. topic. Um, But a lot of it has to do with like, well, there's a lot of innocent people in jail. That's true, but a lot of people in jail are guilty. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people in jail are guilty of committing violent offenses and they really did do it. And so now what? Mm -hmm. And I'm of the opinion that no human being is disposable and no human being is unredeemable and no human being deserves. And I I don't think that you can isolate someone into being a better person. I don't think that you can torture someone into being a better person Mm -hmm. because that's what happens in prison. Like these are fucking horror houses. So, however, there is a place where like my redemption theory runs out Mm -hmm. and I'm going to be honest about this Mm -hmm. and I don't know if I'm going to work on it. Uh, Fossil fuel executives. <laughs> like, I mean, like, to put it this way, though, like, like think about it. Think about it. Because I, th- I talk about this all the time when I think about cops and I'm like, yo, like, like, I, I like my my uncle was a cop. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I got a cousin who was also in jail. Right. Like, I yeah. like I love those people. I love those people. You know what I'm saying? But in my mm-hmm. and my uncle was cool. My uncle, he passed a few years ago. but He was cool. He just needed another job. <laughs> just give him something else to do. You know what right, I'm saying? Right. Give these give the right. fossil fuel executives something else to do. Like I don't know, oh. mow somebody's lawn or something. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I want some vengeance. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not there yet. <laughs> I, I'm not there. And I'm doing a lot of work on myself. I've ordered some books. I'm gonna like learn all about restorative justice and all of that. <laughs> But I don't know if I'm going to have it for them. I just feel like throw them in the volcano. Slow them. <laughs> nice. <laughs> a. Uh, no, nah, that's too quick. That's too quick. I'll process. think of something else. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's I just. Hilarious. I, I mean, the energy I, I don't that. have it for them. I mean, yeah, that energy is like what like Amy was describing is like very energy intensive work you know and so like you can mm-hmm. reserve that energy for people who like need it more they don't need it as yeah. much i mean <laughs> they're like committing ecocide like that's even more than genocide mm-hmm. like and they're like well walking around they have missed a critical step in the process which is acknowledging harm so yeah. Oh well, right. what's his what's his fucking face? David Coke is out here on an apology tour. Oh, I know. Um. Anyway, they can rot in hell. That's for damn sure, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. Right. Um. And I would be fine with preserving prisons specifically for them, only for them. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not all the way there. I'm not all the way there. <laughs> I feel like oh, everybody man. else is redeemable, but not them. And probably, you know, you could throw in Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's yeah. basically a fossil fuel exec. Um, I mean, pretty much. But also in yeah. restorative justice, there is a world where there's different types of jobs for like your uncle who's a cop. Um, or right. There's people still a lot of care work that needs to be done to like yeah. avoid. I mean, that's the thing is like, and this is what I always think about when it's like, you know, people are like, oh, this person deserves this or that. It's like, and this is such a huge part of both forgiveness therapy and restorative justice is like empathy for where that person came from and what led to them committing that harm, you know? And like the vast majority of people, it's like a combination of poverty and abuse and, you know, like 
a lot of systemic things that were stacked against them from the jump. Um, I'm mm-hmm. sure, you know, yes, there's like a small handful of people who are psychopaths and like we have to figure out a mental health system that can deal with that, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah. but like, you know, um, yeah, like why don't we why don't we put that whole like all that money and that whole infrastructure to work addressing the conditions that lead to crime you know mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. and repairing that and your your uncle could totally have a job doing that you know? right right <laughs> um yeah i yeah. i was trying to have that conversation with my mom cuz my mom is now like you know like an old lady who lives by herself and is a little bit like afraid of everything uh mm-hmm. and so i think that like she's like you know if there's no police i'm not going to be safe and i'm like like there could be you know there could still be systems in place that like you know will help you if you're scared that someone's like breaking into your house or whatever they just don't have to look the way they do now you know right um right. I don't know. Right. I yeah. think that's honestly what victims of crimes usually want. It's like they want to feel safe again. But right. in our society, we equate that with the person who hurt you having been like punished and like broken into a million pieces and put far, far, far away from you. That's um, right. And that's yeah. not the same thing as safety. We also have this like conception of perpetrators as like super villainous. And it's like, how do you know that that person mm-hmm. didn't like replay the shit that they did already like seven million times in their head, you know? Right. Um, exactly. And like exactly. have already like punished themselves a ton for the shit that they did. That's so, right. I don't know. Um, That's right. Yeah. yeah. I was telling my mom too. I was like, well, what would make you feel more safe? A po- Like a policeman that might show up and like shoot someone on your front steps or um like a, a community where there are no homeless people and there is no extreme poverty driving people to like break into other people's houses to begin with. Mm-hmm. You yep. know? And she was like, I guess I hadn't really thought about it that way. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, like it's not, you know, I don't know. It, it's the same. I don't know. It's like the same with all of like the climate stuff and the health system and everything else. It's like we, we have to stop only addressing problems at the very, very end of the cycle. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I I actually think that that is why um, prison abolition and restorative justice need to become a big part of how we think about climate change and climate mm-hmm. action, because That's we right. are yep. at this critical moment where we have to reimagine everything. Like, we just don't have That's a right. choice. And mm-hmm. so this is one of the things that needs to be reimagined. And I think, Amy, mm-hmm. you were reading or you were telling me you were reading about this, that like the system that gives us prison is the same system that gives us climate change. That's right. It's like it's all, you know, when I feel like if you peel it back far enough, you get back to power structures, you know, um, domination, white supremacy, all of these mm-hmm. things that are the root of, of like every major problem that we're facing. And it, and it requires a, a rethinking of community and what we value as a society and, yeah. you know, um, yeah. mm-hmm. extraction it's... is extraction is extraction, right? And justice yeah. is justice is justice. Like, that's... Right. <laughs> and abolition yeah. is abolition, right? And this that's could right. be, like, the ultimate abolition. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, it, it does bother me that when I was reading about all of this that you don't think of prisons when you think of climate change. It's like, like you've never loved anybody in prison. 
right? Yeah. And like, you don't think black people are reading your articles because most of us have left somebody in prison. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm also reading a lot about like some of the leading voices in the prison abolition movement. And one of them, Ruth Wilson Gilmore, is all about environmentalism too. Yeah. And that's right. prisons as an mm-hmm. environmental injustice. Yep. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, there's like this, like, I, there is also this, like, generational, I've I've seen from covering, and maybe I shouldn't be saying this, like, in, in, in a public setting, but I, I just from covering and talking to environmental activists of all ages, especially the environmental justice movement is very, like, linked with the elders or, like, are, are bringing along the, um, or, like, bringing along the younger people, but there is a, a bit of a, like, sort of um rift in terms of how they view policing and prisons with the younger folks wanting there to be abolition of police and prisons and some of the older folks having you know experienced the worst of you know of like the drug wars or you know stuff like that where you know they sort of still see a role for prisons and police um mm. along with that um but anyways this this is an aside yeah that's interesting no i do i yeah i mean i think it's um it's hard for people to to imagine something completely different from everything they've ever seen right right yeah. like, and so that's actually <laughs> where i struggle right like it's it, it's very clear to me that there's no future for prisons um that's right. and no future for police, really. Um, But I am not good at articulating what comes next. Well, I mean, I think there has to be a transition period, too, because unfortunately, a lot of people in, um, you know, like, what do you do with people who have been in prison for 20 years and are so badly damaged from that, Mm -hmm. that it's going to take a lot to rehabilitate them into, you know... um, being able to to be part of a different type of society and then you also have to like i don't know i mean i think i i think about it the same again like so similar to the the energy transition stuff too it's a major 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 undertaking and it's not going to be a one step thing you know it's like there's mm-hmm. a a period of like real transition in a very very like major way that is way above, beyond just you know, a different type of power source or, you know, a slightly like a different job for police. It's it's yeah. it takes like just such a massive rethinking of of yeah. how we structure society and what we value um, yeah. that it, it's going to be a transition period that might kind of suck at points, you know, like yeah. we might really fuck it up in some ways, but we have to like try something new. Mm hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and that happens with prison reform too. You know, um, like the fur, like with the furlough yeah. programs and stuff like that, um, which shouldn't necessarily be rolled back just because some people go and commit crime. But it does make it harder to say people need to be able to go to go 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 to their community. You know, go back to their communities. Um, and then I was I was right. gonna say like it seems like it seems like people from from how I hear people talk about in the past year since the quote-unquote racial reckoning. Um, um, How I've heard people sort of who were not familiar with prison abolition before to any degree, um, 
they, they there's like two camps. So like the the con camp thinks that prison abolition is going to mean that tomorrow is going to be the purge, right? That like yeah. like motherfuckers just get out of jail and run all out of jail and kill the prison guards on the way out and go rob everybody. You know what I'm saying? Like right. and then the right. and then the people <laughs> right. who are pro think that prison abolition is going to be like the scene in the whiz when eveline gets killed and everybody strips off their thing and do brand new day the dance you know what i'm saying like it's not going to happen that quickly either either one is not how it's going to be it's going to take some time that's right right yeah 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 I think that's important. And and again, like it does, it rem- it's so s- similar to me of like how I see people talking about climate change and the energy transition too, that it's like, mm-hmm. you know, people think either like from one minute to the next, we're going to be back to like, you know, subsistence farming or that it's going to be some kind <laughs> of fucking hippie utopia. And it's like, yeah, probably neither, guys. Like, yep. you know. <laughs> There's just a lot of room in between those two. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is the other thing that I was running up against uh, in reading about this was like, it's, it, it, no prison abolition can't be an immediate thing. It's not like the same as the uh, abolition of slavery, um, right. which also was was a lot more gradual than most people That's think right. it was. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's that. But it's like if we are going to like let people out, like, like there's two things, right? Like there's stopping people from going into prisons and also mm-hmm. getting people out of prisons. And both of them require an, a complete overhaul of how we do things and how we think about justice. Mm-hmm. Um, so the work I've been trying to do on myself is one to like, you know, take my education in this more seriously and like actually mm-hmm. go beyond my intuition and into more like actual knowledge. So trying to read more about it and learn more about it. I think, um, the other thing is to like retrain myself for how I think about justice. Um, because just like I said, the whole society has been trained to think about it in this vengeful kind of way. So have I. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of the reading I've been doing has been like, we should ask victims what they want. And I, I worry about that. Um, because if most victims have been trained to think of justice as vengeance, you ask a victim what they want, a lot of the time, they might say what they've been trained to say since they were a small child. And that would be that they want the person who hurt them to suffer. So like if a victim of, let's say like one of a, one of the worst crimes, like child abuse says, mm-hmm. I want my abuser to go to prison. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in prisons, but I also would want to support the victim. I don't know mm-hmm. what to do in that situation. Yeah, that's tough. I don't either. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. either. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I'm sure that like, yeah, for me, I don't, I don't know the answer, and I feel like there's probably people who've thought about it a lot more than I have. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the. I'm sure there is like an answer on that kind of stuff from the, um, the abolition community. But yeah. yeah, because it does, it feels weird to be like, oh, we have to talk victims into understanding a different form of justice. That doesn't feel great either. Right. But uh, I don't know. Maybe that is part of it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's yeah. why I wanted to have this conversation, right? Because there aren't mm-hmm. clear answers here, which is what mm-hmm. makes it a really interesting conversation, one that we have to keep having and and normalizing. So, Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, just keep thinking about, I mean, I think, um, 
Yeah. We have to, like, keep thinking about this stuff and having these conversations and expanding them to, like, our families and communities. Well, that means, Drew, we might be having you back on here sometime soon, so will you now accept our third invitation to Hot Take? Of course. Are there going to be more (laughs) basketball puns? No, I'm going to yes. figure out something else to troll you on. Okay, great. That's fine. <laughs> just just remember just remember that the the LA Chargers are a football or a football team, not a basketball team. <laughs> I forgot all about that already. Uh, what do you call a piece of cheese that likes to shoot hoops? Um I'm going through my cheese dictionary in my head. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> Brie, cheddar, uh, Swiss, no. mozzarella. Yeah, you got it. Swiss. Get it? Like oh, Swiss. 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 Ah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank awesome. you for well, coming thanks, on. Thanks, Drew. Thanks, thanks for, for having me. Again. I appreciate it. Yeah. This was fun. This was fun. Yeah. Even, this was a bummer, and it still was fun because we contain multitudes. Yay. Well, it was an important conversation. No, for real. I can't think of who else we could have had it with. Huge thanks to Drew Costley for coming on and talking with us. Um, You can and should follow him on Twitter. He is at Drew Costley and Costley is spelled C-O-S-T-L-E-Y. Um, and yeah, he's a great environmental journalist and you should look up all of his work. We'll drop some links to some of his stories, um, that we mentioned in this episode into the show notes Mm -hmm. and also into our newsletter, which you should be subscribed to if you're not already. Exactly. And you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Real Hot Take. You can follow Amy at, at Amy Westerville. And you can follow me at, at Mary Heckler. I think that's about it. Amy, keep fucking that chicken. I will, Mary. <laughs> I was ready for you that time. I was ready for you. What's creepy is I believe you. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> <laughs>